It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Before starting a new multi-part series about a quadruple restaurant homicide, we decided to have a conversation with one of our favorite people in the true crime community. Bones of Autumn. Bones is a Redditor based in Indiana who researches and writes about a variety of crimes from years past. Anya and I first found her work on the Unresolved Mystery subreddit and soon became major fans. We will include links to her articles that we mention in our show notes. Feel free to take a gander at those as you listen along. We got curious about how she discovered a previously unknown serial killer, how she finds such bizarre cases, and how she manages to conduct such amazing research. So we decided to find out. This week on The Murder Sheet, part one of our talk with Bones of Autumn. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. 
And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, The Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're The Murder Sheet, and this is Reporting from Reddit, an interview with Bones of Autumn, part one. What got you uh, interested in true crime? Um, I have been interested in true crime for a long time. <laughs> I uh, I would say it probably started when I was around 10 or so, and I started watching the show Unsolved Mysteries on television. I can remember falling asleep multiple times listening to Robert Stack's voice. And back then it was more of a, uh, it was entertainment to me in a way. I was I was interested in everything. And, you know, of course, I felt for the victims on there, but I was young. And to me, they were just interesting things to watch. But uh, and then Columbine actually happened, and it was all over the news. And I was just glued to the television. I couldn't believe something like that had happened. And it was just so much coverage of it. I guess back then I hadn't ever seen anything like that. And I think at that point it kind of started me down the path of more wanting to understand why the things happened that they did. And I honestly just stayed stayed hooked to true crime after that. <laughs> I, uh, I think when I got a little bit older, I realized that they weren't just entertaining stories. They were actual real-life things that happened to real people. And at that point, I decided I want to do something to, you know, kind of help with this. But I have no background in law enforcement or forensics or any of the major things that most of these people do that write about these cases. And so I figured, well, I'm an okay writer and I actually love research. So maybe I could write these people's stories as a way to not only remember them, but to keep the cases that aren't seen on the news frequently in the public's eye in a way. And I had no idea that it would be so successful on Reddit, but that's the place that I chose to share the stories. Yeah, you really are a great writer and a researcher. Can I ask if you had any background in writing or research? Uh, I took a few journalism classes in college at Indiana State University. But other than that, honestly, I just have always liked to write. It was never like an official, I don't have a degree in journalism or anything like that. I just I'm kind of a nerd for research. I enjoy it very much. I love looking back at old past things, and I figured, 
I could probably look up a few things about these cases. And now that has turned into me constantly combing through the newspaper archives and using my library's microfilm selection and going to the county clerk's office, using Ancestry, all those good sites like that. I, that's where I get most of my research from, but I, I should say that. I, now I, I'm, it's very important to me that I not only tell these stories well and respectfully, but also tell them accurately. And as I'm sure you guys know, the newspapers are not always 100% accurate. So I don't rely solely on newspaper archives, but they are the the big part of my research comes from scrolling through endless pages of newspapers. <laughs> we definitely know that feeling. <laughs> it's uh, Sometimes it's very frustrating using just the newspaper archives. A lot of cases are just, there isn't any other information out there about them. And so you have to rely on the newspapers for what you can find. And there'll be, you know, five or six articles and every single one of them have facts that are conflicting with one another. So it's, it's always important for me when I do share stories like those to say, you know, according to the newspapers, this is what I have gathered on this. But other than knowing for a fact that either the person is still missing or the crime hasn't been solved, I always make sure I tell everybody, you know, I've, I've done the best I can with the research, but I can't tell you for sure that all of these facts are 100% accurate as they did come from you know, the newspapers. <laughs> so, um, but uh, after I, after I started using the newspapers and got more comfortable with talking to actual law enforcement and, and, and county clerks and things like that, I have been able to, to more thoroughly research the cases. They help tremendously with these old cases. And those are the ones that I cover mostly. If you guys have read some of my stuff on there, I try to pick the cases that that aren't just out in the news all the time. There's there's a few that are quite, I don't want to say popular, but that everybody knows from Indiana, we'll say. And uh, I think those are just as important. But the ones that I like to write about are ones that, I don't want to say have been forgotten, that's a, not a good word, but that have more or less been forgotten over time and uh, that they didn't really get their time in the spotlight to be solved. Those are my those are my particular favorite ones to cover. How do you find those cases? Lots and lots of time spent scrolling through the newspapers. Really, I wish I had a better answer than that. I, I was telling myself when you guys were going to call. I was thinking I'm not going to sound professional at all because I have no background in anything with this. But it is honestly hours of just scrolling through old newspapers. Um, I'll find a mention of somebody, you know, being murdered or somebody's gone missing, and I'll take that name and plug it into databases and see what I can find if their case has been solved, if it hasn't, uh, updates on the case, things like that, and I go from there. That's I normally I use Ancestry a lot. Ancestry's a good source for that, but uh, uh, Names has been great. They actually are wonderful, and so is Redgrave Research. Uh, they're an amazing group, and they've helped with a few of my of my case write-ups. They've they're just they're great researchers, and they've pointed me in the right direction numerous times. So big shout out to them. <laughs> but they uh, the the cases that I cover are 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 so hard to find information about that. 
sometimes I, I can't even do a write-up about them. I, I, there, I have so many saved that just have nothing about them because there just isn't information out there about them. And those ones always make me sad that I can't find enough info to even put put a word out there about it. But I try my best to try to pick the ones that are not <laughs> covered a whole lot. Uh, from start to finish, how long would you say it typically takes you to uh, do one of your case write-ups? Oh, my gosh. That would depend greatly on the case. Um, occasionally, I will find one that has just a plethora of information hidden away about it. And when that happens, I can normally get a, a case written in two days or so. It takes me about two days to find everything I need to do the write-up. But for the more, for the more, the, the more deep ones, we'll say those ones. Those ones have taken me a while. Uh, I think probably the longest I have spent working on a case was probably uh, Frank Lever or Ted Carr, one of those two, because there was just a rabbit hole of information going. I still am finding out new things even after all this time, and that's been almost a year in the making at this point. <laughs> Yeah, we actually wanted to talk to you about both those cases. Uh, the Frank Lever case, it was really amazing how you were able to uh, basically identify a previously unknown serial killer. Can you tell us about that? Now, of course, that is just what I I, I believe he is. He is allegedly. I, I can't say for, for certain, but uh, I actually found him by finding his arrest notification newspaper. And the, what stuck out to me was the woman that he had been arrested for murdering. Her murder was, it was very gruesome. It was a very, it was a horrible, horrible death. And I remembered reading about a case in the newspapers that had been a few years before that, but it had a very similar MO. And I thought, I wonder if those could be connected. And I started looking back in the newspapers, and I found another one, and another one, and another one, and they all seemed to have the same mo, the same the same area. Most of them were found within you know ten miles of each other or so. And eventually, it developed into me figuring out that I think that this man is the one responsible for all of these cases. It was really an amazing piece of uh, research. Can you tell us some of the uh, details about the mo's that caught your eye? Um, I would say mostly it was the fact that that a lot of his victims, where they were found, that was the big that was the big dead giveaway for me. They were mostly taken from Kentucky, abducted from Kentucky, and left in Indiana. Now they had identified all of the women, and they all worked relatively the same jobs. Most of them were waitresses or uh, just very similar in age and their location. Um, he also his his method of of killing them was very brutal. Um, he would, he, you know, he he would. I don't know what all I could say on here. They most of the time his victims would be found nude, and that it was a it was kind of a, a hint in the right direction that he could be responsible for all of them as well. Um talking about these cases sometimes with people i'm not sure how much detail to go into with with some of them uh, go into as much detail they were they were all very they were all very violent deaths um, um and and in particular one 
uh, was a woman that he had dated at one point. I learned through lots of old comments on things um, from when she was killed, actually. Uh, but that was a big giveaway for that particular person, that he she had dated this man and then been found deceased in a river nearby where she had lived and after dating Frank. So that one was pretty obvious. And then when he was arrested for for killing um, Anita, the I, I, his, his crimes almost seemed as though they they started out rather not mild because they've never been mild, but they progressively got more aggressive as he as he went on. And Anita was was the worst the worst in the worst shape when they discovered her body. He had he had done he had amputated her left breast. He had amputated parts of her her vaginal region. <laughs> Um, and then he strangled her to death. And so it was a almost a culmination of everything that had he had strangled victims before. He had done minor things to victims before. But I think with Anita was his his ultimate big murder that he had planned to do. But leading up to it, the other victims, I think, were almost him just trying out what he wanted to do is awful. That sounds uh, he, he he was a very disturbed man, and I, I honestly believe that he may be responsible for several other murders around the area, but I haven't been able to completely link him to those ones, so I did not include them in the write-up that on my Reddit page. What happened to uh, Frank? Uh, Frank was arrested, and he went to jail, and I believe he died in jail. And you said you're still getting information on this story? I've still been digging around for information on this story. I had a woman message me on Reddit who claimed that she actually knew Frank. And she sent me a picture of her and him together when they were younger, which confirmed that this was not just another person sending me a, a message claiming they know somebody out of one of my write-ups. And she told me that he was a very violent man and that a woman had gone missing for several days around where they lived at the time and was eventually found deceased on the side of the road, and she was nude when she was found. And that immediately, you know, set off alarms in my head. Of course, you know, if Frank had known this woman in any way, then he definitely could be responsible for it. But the police in that area are very tight-lipped on that one, and all they would tell me is that it is an open investigation and that they had no suspects in the case. So I couldn't find out enough yet to put that together all the way. It's, the woman doesn't want her name or picture out there, and so I can't use her as a source. And I don't like putting things out there that I can't prove. So I, I'm slowly adding to the case, but and hopefully eventually I will have enough information to do a really thorough write-up for everybody to read about, about Frank. <laughs> Let's take a quick break from the murder sheet to tell you about a podcast investigating yet another unforgettable crime. The Orange Tree is a seven-part series about a 2005 homicide that happened near the University of Texas at Austin. The murder of 21-year-old Jennifer Cave, who was shot, dismembered, and left in a bathtub at her friend Colton Petoniak's apartment, continues to haunt the area to this day. 
Like the Burger Chef murders, this case features plenty of twists and turns, including Colton's flight to Mexico with another UT student, Laura Hall. Both were later convicted in connection with the crime, although Colton has continued to appeal his verdict and claim innocence. The business student turned convicted murderer now says that he doesn't even remember much about the night Jennifer died. The Orange Tree is reported on and produced by Haley Butler and Tanu Thomas, who were both seniors at the University of Texas when they started this project. Together, Haley and Tanu strive to piece together this tragic story in an in-depth podcast that features audio from courtroom scenes and interrogation rooms, prison phone calls, and exclusive interviews with both the perpetrators and the victim's family. You can binge all seven episodes of The Orange Tree today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roco slash msheet. That's roco slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, back to the murder sheet. As somebody who um, covers so many of these lesser known crimes, do you have any thoughts on why some of these crimes, which are very interesting, obviously important, you know, human beings lost their lives, unfortunately, in horrible ways, you know, why they don't attract as much attention um, and that why some crimes kind of really do dominate a lot of the discourse? I guess, do you have any thoughts on that? I would say that it's mostly, I don't, it's different for every case, I'll say. Some of the cases I feel they didn't get covered because maybe the life the person led, that the victim led, wasn't seen as 
as a conventional life, and a lot of people would call it high-risk lifestyles. Um, anybody that was involved with drugs or prostitution or things like that, I think they kind of put those people down a level from from the people that are you know sober and hardworking and. And in, in my opinion, you know, lots of people make mistakes, and that doesn't mean that, that they deserve to be murdered and that their cases don't deserve to be solved. And I'm sure that I'm, – I'm, I'm, now, I'm not saying that all police work is – you know, they, the police do an excellent job. They really do. But they also don't have the time for some of these cases. Some of these people had no family, and so nobody is actively pursuing justice for them because they don't have anybody left to pursue justice for them. And so it's been put on the back burner for the families that are more adamant about trying to find their loved one's killer. uh, But that's not always the case. You know, occasionally there's still families that are looking and and the person didn't get very much coverage because of their age, for instance. A lot of people see that an elderly woman has been stabbed to death in her home and they think, well, at least she got to live a long life hope they find the guy responsible, and then that's kind of the end of it there. I think it's more focused on, you know, your economic status, your, you know, your job, things like that. So many things, I think, play a role in in where the case gets put as priority, which is really sad, but it's also true. I was wondering, before we get into other specific cases, you've covered so many cases. Are there, like, patterns that you see coming up again and again? Um, patterns as far as why they're still unsolved. Yeah. Most of them, I would say, happened in smaller towns. Um, they were, they, a lot of the cases I cover too are from, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, a lot of those small towns wanted to kind of keep these things hush hush because they didn't want to appear as anything other than a completely safe small town. And it didn't want to scare everybody in a way, I think is, is, is a good way to put it. But I also think that that when they run out of suspects and cases went cold back then, that was kind of the end of it. They, they couldn't, you know, it couldn't be solved. And so it was just dropped out of the history books in a way. Um, until, of course, I try to find them and kind of revamp them and let people know that these cases haven't been solved yet. And it's not like I think that by writing these stories, I'm going to solve them. I'm in no way an armchair detective, as people like to say, or, you know, a sleuth. I'm not at the the police stations, you know, asking them for information on open cases constantly or anything like that. I just, I feel that if I tell these victims' stories, at the very least, it'll it'll help them be remembered and help the public to see that these cases haven't been solved and that they shouldn't be forgotten just because of a passage of time. And that's very interesting. You you talked about how you were contacted by somebody who knew uh, Lever. I'm just curious, have you been contacted by anyone who is connected to any of the victims you've written about? I have. I have had... Several families contact me, um, and most of them are very kind and tell me thank you very much for doing the write-up about their loved one. If possible, I actually prefer to ask permission from a victim's family before I do a write-up 
not only to make sure that they would want this out there, but to make sure that that I'm doing it in a way that is respectful to the victim and to the families. But occasionally, we will have somebody that will not appreciate <laughs> that I wrote about their loved one on Reddit. I I think that a lot of the families that have an issue with it are simply because it is on a social media platform, and to them, it probably appears as though it's it's entertaining for people to sit and discuss what could have happened to their loved one. And some of the theories that are written on there or some of the things that they say about their loved ones on there are not always particularly kind, so I can understand their frustration out of something like that. And if that does happen, I immediately remove the write-up. I will not leave a write-up up that makes anybody, any victim's family feel uncomfortable. But for the most part, they they seem to be very happy that somebody is covering a case that hasn't been mentioned in, you know, 10, 20 years in any type of news outlet or or print media even. At this point, I mean, your, your Reddit posts have gotten so so much buzz and do you get requests from family members or or even you know other folks who are interested in in lesser known cases like hey can you can you look at this one uh i i normally get one a day that that sends me um a very either they'll send me a very small you know a link to a random unsolved case or they'll send me um a, you know a 20 page you know message from you know, from telling me how they know this person, that they're a family member, and that they would really like to see this case covered. Um, a lot of these people, though, are from out of the state of Indiana, and I have covered several cases that are not Indiana cases. Um, I've done some out of Illinois and uh, most recently one from Ohio, but I prefer to stick to Indiana cases, so I like to try to direct them to another writer on the sub that maybe focuses on a more wide range of states. Uh, we have some excellent writers on unresolved mysteries, and a lot of them focus particu- on particular states, their home state, but there's a few that cover just such a huge range and are just excellent at researching. I feel most comfortable doing Indiana cases because it's where I'm from, I'm local to the area, and it's my home state, so it kind of holds a special a special purpose for me to to work on these cases from here. And then I'm curious. So, so Kevin and I, full disclosure, we're, we're, we moved from Brooklyn to Indiana. Kevin's from Indiana. I'm not. Um, but we also met working on the Burger Chef case, which is obviously one of the uh, more well-known Indiana cases that have gone unsolved. Um, right. But so we always have a lot of discussions on Indiana crime and I'm curious to get your take on it. Um, do, do do you have a sense that Indiana is, is different in any way, you know, from neighboring States, like, does it seem to have had a large spate of murders in the 60s and 70s, or do you kind of sort of attribute that to just the the crime wave that happened in the United States at the time? I want to say that it has, it's both, honestly. Crime waves that were going on back then were not limited to Indiana by any means. But Indiana has a great appeal for murderers, I believe, because of all the places that you can dump somebody out here. Indiana is so rural, particularly where I live. I live in southern Indiana, and there there's more trees than there is pavement out here. And so out here, it seems maybe they thought they could get away with it more often here because 
given how rural the state is. But honestly, I, I would have to say that more or less, it is just a, a. I happen to cover a lot of Indiana cases, so I'll see mentioned on on the sub all the time. Why is it always from Indiana? But when you go back and you try to look from, you know, if you look at any state from back then, I'm sure every one of them has a ridiculous amount of unsolved murders. I just happen to focus primarily on Indiana, so it probably appears that Indiana was chock full of serial killers and murderers all the time. But I don't think that that's always the case. What was in the water back then? (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Thanks again to Bones of Autumn. Please join us again next week as our conversation with Bones concludes. We will talk about the disappearance of Lauren Spearer, a little-known serial killer, and the bizarre case of a mysterious message scrawled on a chalkboard near a dead body. And a quick personal note. We love reading all your emails and comments, but want to give you a heads up that we may be slow to respond next month until we get back from our honeymoon in late June. Just know that if you experience a delayed response, we are not ignoring you, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>